0: Welcome to the FBCLB Podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Acts chapter number two this evening. Thank you so much for being in your place here tonight. And then a very special thank you to everyone who made the energy, took the time, had the uh, energy and effort to get here each night for the family worship nights. I trust that you've been helped. I trust that it's been a beneficial and profitable time for you. And uh, that's our aim and our goal. And uh, we certainly we don't want to just uh, uh, meet together in vain. We want to meet together for purpose and for uh our betterment, and I trust that that's what it was for you. I know it was for me. Acts chapter number two, and we've taken each little segment of the journey uh, considering how God would have us to reach not just our generation, but how God would have us to reach all the generations. And That was really kind of the direction of the idea that uh, the Lord kind of put that thought in my heart early on last fall, and that's what I began praying and working toward uh, with our family worship nights, and uh, thankful to all the energy and effort from our team uh, that went into this week, making it all possible, all the stuff, all the statistics behind the scenes, and, uh, and, and the bringing it together in a, in a format that I trust has been good for you. Here's where we are in Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter 2 is a, is a very important turning point in the history of the world. The Son of God has humbled Himself. He came to earth as a servant, in the, in, wrapped in flesh, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He has died on the cross, and with His death on the cross, He's destroyed the works of the devil He's, he's taken all the sins of all the world upon himself. He's risen from the dead. And he vindicated all these claims that he was the Messiah. And through his resurrection, he has given this indestructible hope to all those who believe on him and to those who would follow him. He told his disciples in Luke chapter number 24 to wait in Jerusalem, until they would be clothed with power in the form of the Holy Spirit, that then they would receive the Holy Spirit, and that they would go, in Acts chapter number 1, as witnesses into all of the world. He told them earlier, in John chapter number 14, that he would send his spirit, another, the Comforter, who would... Lead them in truth. He would convict the world of sin. He would convince the world of the righteousness that they needed because of sin. And He, the Holy Spirit, would remind the world that there was one final judgment coming for all. That's when you open Acts chapter number two. All of that has just taken place in the gospel account. And now there is this one final chapter in the history of the world that is being written before the end of the world comes. What the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. A great and terrible day of the Lord that is coming. Sometimes in the Bible you'll read that phrase, the day of the Lord. And that phrase means the end of the world. And that event, that chapter that is opening, is opening right here in Acts chapter number 2. The Spirit is empowering His people for witness in Acts 1. The Spirit is convincing the world of sin in John 16. And this final chapter where all of those who believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ will take the gospel message to all the world. Am I good here? Okay. So the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem, just as Jesus told them to. So you pick it up in verse number one. And when the day of Pentecost was come, they were all with one accord in one place. So here they are waiting. It's the Feast of Pentecost. They're having this celebration. They're praying with one accord. And the Holy Spirit comes on them just as Jesus promised that it would. Look at verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit comes on them, just as Jesus prophesied that it would, and they began to preach the gospel, and as they preached the gospel, their mouths were filled with the mighty wonders of the works of God, and what came out of their mouth was heard in different languages as they were all assembled in that day. And so the promise is being fulfilled. This needs some explanation because there are those who watch the disciples preach who think that they must be intoxicated. They must be drunk. They must be out of their mind. Look at verse number 13. And others mocking them said, these men are full of new wine. So the way that they understood what they saw the disciples doing was that this this must be some effect of of drunkenness or some effect of alcohol. And so Peter stands up then in verse number 14, but Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice, and then he gives them the explanation of what they are watching. This is verse number 16. I'm going to read 16, and I'm going to read 17. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter Here's what Peter's saying. This is not some effect of drunkenness. What you're seeing is what was prophesied by Joel and what Jesus told us of in Luke 24 and in John 16 and in John 14. This is all of these promises coming true. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So what is happening at Pentecost? This final chapter in the history of the world is the Holy Spirit is filling the disciples, the apostles, as they are witnessing for him. And it is opening a brand new chapter in history, the chapter in which you and I now live in today. And there's three very important characteristics about what Peter says this final chapter looks like for us to consider here this evening with... with a specific focus on what does it mean for us as young and old to be witnessing of the great work of God? What does it mean for us, young and old, to be filled with the Spirit? And what does it mean for us, young and old, to accomplish the purposes that God has left us here to do? That's what we'll consider, three ideas that way here this evening. our Heavenly Father, use your word in our hearts and lives, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together... Amen. Number one, three things I want you to see about what Peter is saying is happening in this final chapter. Three things. Number one, he says it is the final chapter. Look at verse number 16, verse number 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days. And Peter said years later when he wrote a letter in that's called 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote there in chapter 1, verse number 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It's same idea, these last days, these last times. The Apostle Paul taught the similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and in verse number 11. Now, now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So, so how Peter understands the the Spirit empowering them and the Spirit filling them and them witnessing of the great work of God and testifying of God's good grace to all of the world, how Peter understands that, how Paul understands that, how the other apostles understood it was they understood that as the beginning of the end. In, In other words, that's letter A for you. In other words... As the Bible pictures history, the first coming of Jesus, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost were the opening pages of the very last chapter, which is a way to say that we believe that we live in the end times, in the last days. That Jesus Christ could and is coming at any moment. What does not matter is it does not matter that the last days, according to the lingo of the Bible, have stretched on for 2,000 years. Peter answers that objection by saying, A day is as a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is as a day. So that would be that would ask, answering the objection of, Well, Pastor, if it's the last days, why has it been so long since Pentecost until now? He's saying, He's saying the Lord is not how many of you remember that verse? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but God is willing that all men everywhere should repent and believe. So he's saying God isn't slow in fulfilling his promise. God is certainly slow in moving toward wrath, but God is patient because God desires all men everywhere to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to be saved before the end of the world comes. So it's the beginning of the end, A, letter B. It's the second coming of Christ that is to follow. So living in the last days means that the next great epic making act of God is not another flood. It's, it's not a new Abraham. Abraham. It's not the raising up of some new prophet or the giving of some new revelation. It's not another Exodus. It's, it's not the giving of another law or another word. It's not the taking over of the promised land. The, it's, not, it's not a new coming of, of Christian kings who rule the world for good and for God. All, all of those chapters are done. All of those chapters have ended. All those chapters are over. Living in the last days means that the next Epic-making act of God is the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is referred to in verse number 20. So skip down a few verses and look with me at verse 20. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And So we are living in the final chapter. It is it was the beginning of the end. The next event to happen is the second coming of Christ. And this truth, letter C, should be the overwhelming significant truth of your life and mine. This, this singular truth should be the driving force in your life and mine. Why? Because this is where we live Young and old, rich and poor, this is where we live. That the overwhelming significance of living in these days and living in the last days in particular, that Christ could and should and is coming at any given moment should relieve the tensions between old and young inside of the church. If our older minds and if our younger minds could be filled with the awesome understanding and with the amazing insight. And with the full meaning of what it means to be living in the last days, I believe that it would cover a multitude of frustration and minor disagreements. This is, I said this last night, but this is my desire for you and for me, for your family, for mine, for your children, for my children, that we would live with the great realization that God is coming back, and he is coming back very soon. And we should live ready for that day. And that this singular truth that by the night's end, God may have raptured us to be with him in eternity forever, that that could happen. And when we live with that reality, when we live with the awesomeness of what that must or may mean for you and for me, well then all these other things, they seem to pale in comparison for that great and eternal day. When you stand in front of Jesus, I want you to stand in front of Jesus happy that you were a member of First Baptist Church. I want you to stand in front of Jesus glad that we had special services where we got together, sang praises, fellowshiped, studied his word, and you were there growing in your grace and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stand in front of Jesus happy that we had multiple offerings for you to give in so that way you could invest for eternity and not save up money on this earth, only to lose it to moth, rust, and thieves." I want you to stand in front of Jesus and go, man, God, I am so happy that you gave us, Dave, to be our pastor who pushed us and asked us and challenged us and encouraged us and edified us and exhorted us to do these things, like uh, going to reach your community on Saturday, like knocking every door in our city, like bringing on more missionaries this year then last, that we were challenged and stretched to do that. Why? Because we want to be ready for that great and final day. What must that day be like then? What must it be like on that final day to wake up in eternity and see the face of God? What then will you want to have done Because when you are there, it will be too late to go back and do. But while you are not yet there, it is not too late to begin. This is what Peter is saying. This is the final chapter. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. It's the final chapter. Number two, it's a time of fullness. I will... Pour out my spirit. So it's a chapter that is designed for spiritual fullness, fullness particularly to the old and to the young. I will pour out my spirit. Who will he be pouring his Spirit out on? Upon all flesh, in particular, sons and daughters, young men and old men. And in doing so, what will they do? They will dream dreams. They will see visions. And they will do this for all of the earth. So it is a time of fullness. So the point of the outpouring or the time of fullness is not that the Spirit of God is split. It is that the Spirit of God would be full or fill you and me. The Spirit of God cannot be split. We see that in verse number four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Ghosts. They were all filled. He wasn't, he got a little and he got a little and he got a little. No, he wasn't split, but that he filled them and that in filling them then, they served and ministered and worked and accomplished the great purposes that God had given to them to do. We know this because of other passages like Ephesians chapter number five, Ephesians chapter number three, where Paul prays for all believers that they would be filled. And here's what I want you and me in particular to listen to this evening. And this is, this is the call to us, to the young and to the old, that we would have a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Lee Robertson used to ask it like this, are you right now walking in the Spirit of God? Are you right now walking in the Spirit of God? It is never too late and it is never too early to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to be filled with the holy spirit of god. That's what Jesus meant when he said, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they will be they will be filled. They will be satisfied." This is what Paul meant for young and old when he prayed that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be ye filled with the Spirit. This is what Jeremiah meant young and old when he said, If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. I pray that the young and the old at First Baptist will find a deep and precious unity because we are all pursuing a fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. This leads us to a question then, doesn't it? What is the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God? What does it mean then to be Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, go to Ephesians chapter number five. Paul gives us good insight on this question, Ephesians chapter number five. Look at verse number 18, "And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." Speaking unto yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul likens being filled with the Spirit to that of drunkenness, or the effects of drunkenness. That people go to alcohol, or these foreign substances for for courage, for warmth, for joy. And the scripture says that We, as believers, don't go to those things for courage or warmth or joy. We go to the Spirit. We go to Him, and He gives us the courage, warmth, and joy, and love, and peace, and long-suffering that we need. Going to the Spirit, unlike going to these other substances, going to the Spirit gives you more control, not less control. In drunkenness, you give yourself to that. You lose control. You don't know where you are. You make promises that you can't keep. You are aware of your own limitations. But in the fullness of the Spirit, you control your tongue. You control your emotions. You control your passions. You control your mind. So being filled with the Spirit, it, Paul's really saying this is the opposite. Being filled with the Spirit is opposite like being filled. Like being full of some other substance that is controlling you. Being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of drunkenness because you go to drunkenness as a depressant. You go to foreign substances or alcohol as a way to get you away from the truth. We run to social media to hide us from reality so we can for a little while pretend like and not want to answer and not think of the deep, meaningful questions of life like you spend eternity somewhere other than here. We run to all these things to drown out the greatest reality of them all and that is that we live in the final days. Drunkenness is a depressant. Reality becomes less real, but the fullness of the Spirit enhances your understanding of reality. The fullness of the Spirit makes truth to shine. The fullness of the Spirit is a stimulant. Drunkenness is a depressant. These substances are depressant. Running to social media and TV and entertainment and video games and whatever else they tackled in the early part of the week, running to those things is a way to hide. But running to the Spirit is a way to be given illumination and truth and understanding. Why? Because the Spirit is one of truth. He reveals truth. He shows truth. He gives you an understanding of reality. He brings joy and courage and warmth and acceptance. You say, well, pastor, that sounds great. If that's what being filled with the Spirit is, if that's what fullness of the Spirit is, well, then that's what I want. So how do I get it? Well, look at the text. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be... Filled with the Spirit. So, so look, look. There's a balance to it. Be not drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with this. Do not be controlled by these things. Okay. Don't don't run to all these things for control or 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 reality or light or depressants. Don't run to them. Instead, run to or be filled with the Spirit. You have a lot of people in the world who look at the fullness of the Spirit like it is something that just hits you. It's something that just comes on you. It's like, it's like being struck by a lightning bolt or, or a tornado. There, there are other people who teach or write or preach that being filled with the Spirit is something that you can automatically work up. Oh, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, here's my book. Do these five things, and then you will automatically be filled with the Spirit. I think they're both wrong. On the one hand, if we are simply being passive about being filled with the Spirit, you would not have the command, be filled with the Spirit. So if being filled with the Spirit is something that just comes over you as you just, you're you walking along, all of a sudden it just hits you, then you wouldn't have the command, be filled. It's, a, it's an active tense, be filled with the Spirit. On the other hand, if it was something that you could just go read and do these five steps, then he would say, fill yourself with the Spirit. He goes, oh, don't be drunk with the line. He said, fill yourself with the Spirit. Do these five things in this order, and then you will get the Spirit. And he isn't saying any of that. What he says is, be filled with the Spirit, which is a way to say, put yourself in a position where you can be filled with the spirit put yourself in a position where you can be filled with the spirit so so look here let me help you there is a sense that when you become a christian you are given the Holy Spirit of God. You experience fullness. Paul calls that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were in that moment sanctified. They sang that song a moment ago. You read the word sanctified, or rather, word rather justified. In that moment of justification, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You were in that moment given the Holy Spirit of God. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God indwelled your heart, lives in your heart, filled your heart in that moment. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, verse number 10. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness." Listen to it in Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes more on this. Galatians 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you became a child of God. You became a son of God. And then he adds, chapter six verse chapter 4, verse 6, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his spirit into your heart crying, Abba, Father. So, Look here. This is important. When you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were given all of the Holy Spirit. He did not withhold. He didn't keep anything back. He didn't split himself in half. You were given all of the Holy Spirit in that moment. He indwells you. But then he writes and he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit. So what must this mean then? So there is another kind of fullness, or another sense of being filled with the Spirit. When when does that happen? Well, look at the text. Be filled with the Spirit. Anybody see the word Spirit? Does everybody look at the word Spirit? Does everybody see it? It It's not a period after the word Spirit. It's a semicolon. So what that's telling us is, be filled with the Spirit. Then he's going to list for you how this rolls out. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So in chapter 19, you have corporate worship, you have personal worship. That in corporate and personal worship, man, there is a sense where we are Filled with the Spirit, chapter twenty. You have gratitude and and thankfulness for all that God has done for you, for all that God is giving to you, for the grace that God is showing you. And in that sense, there is a filling of the Spirit. Then in verse twenty-one, so that you are giving yourself to someone else in service for the Lord. There is a sense in which you are being filled with the Spirit. Look here. That's why when you do ministry service, you do ministry work. You get done with the ministry service or work and while you might be tired and while you might be exhausted there is a sense of fulfillment it's why it's when you share jesus with someone and you tell them the gospel and they believe on jesus you walk away from that experience with a sense of fullness with a with a sense of filling you feel Feel good about what you just did. Why? Because the Spirit of God beareth witness with your spirit when you witness about the mighty works of God. This is why it is good to serve the Lord. Is why is it good to find a ministry and get involved in We've We've hit this every night. Why is it good to find a ministry and get involved in Why? Because in, involving yourself in the ministry to serve someone else is a sense where we are filled with the Spirit of God. So there is a kind of Spirit, there is a kind of fullness of the Spirit then that comes by simply, look here, by simply doing the ordinary disciplines of the Christian life. You got three ideas. You got A, the daily disciplines. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. There is a kind of fullness of the Spirit that comes through just regular Bible study, through attending church faithfully, through fellowshipping with other believers, through prayer time, through meditation on God's Word, through resisting the devil, fleeing from him, from turning from sin, from repentance and confession. There is a sense of the fullness of the Spirit of God by just doing those, what you would call these ordinary daily disciplines, like the stuff Christian do, right? That's how we think of those things. The stuff Christians do, when you do these daily disciplines, there is a sense in which the filling or the fullness of the Spirit of God happens. It happens at that level. There are other instances in the Bible, though. There's a, there's letter, or letter B, which is the second point there. There's a demonstration of power. Do you remember in Acts chapter number four? The church is meeting together because they have been threatened They've been threatened with their lives that if they do not stop preaching the gospel that they will be they will be imprisoned and worse so the church gets together in acts four they pray and at that prayer meeting in acts 4 there is this shaking of the building and there is this filling of the spirit and then they go out and they boldly proclaim Christ it The place is shaking. The the courage rises, and they go out and they witness boldly for Christ. It's a demonstration of power. That's, That's this extraordinary fullness of God. It's, it's what you might would experience when you're in a conversation with someone and they ask you a very hard question about Jesus or about the gospel or about God or about Christianity, and in your mind or heart you go, I don't have the answer to that, that question. I just Let me think about that. Let me, let me, Lord, give me the right answer. And then just you give an answer. You don't even know where that answer came from, but you give this answer. It's this extraordinary demonstration of the power of God. But notice this: the the house that they prayed in did not shake continually. It isn't isn't continue to shake. You don't get to Acts five and that house is still shaking. Is in Acts six that house is still shaking. Is in Acts seven that house is still shaking. No, it. Shook at the moment of prayer. There was this filling, this demonstration of power. And then they went out and boldly proclaimed the word of the Lord. So you had this extraordinary fullness, this demonstration of power. But you also have in the Bible references to being filled with the Spirit as this deep affirmation in Acts chapter or Romans chapter 8, verse number 16. Paul is talking about the witness of the Spirit with our own heart. That when someone is accusing you or someone is attacking you or someone is maligning you, that the Spirit of God witnesses with your spirit. And the Spirit of God witnesses with your spirit to lead you into truth so that you do not believe the lie that you are being told by culture or world like you aren't valuable you aren't gifted you aren't pretty you aren't skilled you are incapable those same lies we talked about yesterday you aren't all this is what you are you are not capable of doing all this stuff that God is asking you to do so why even try and what Paul says is there's this deep affirmation that comes from the Spirit of God in those moments where God's spirit witnesses with your spirit it gives you this affirmation from him where he says you're my child. and I'm your father and you are loved and I created you and I called you and I gifted you and I made you and I put you there at that job and I stuck you in this neighborhood and I gave you these children. I gave you these grandchildren. These are gifts from me and I know what I'm doing. His spirit witnesses with your spirit so that you can go and do the work that God has called you to do. You have three different ideas in the Bible of ways that we are full or filled with the Spirit. But certainly also true that the Spirit of God can be grieved. The Spirit of God can be quenched. The Spirit of God can be grieved through disobedience, through sin, through indifference, through ignoring his call to your heart and and in your life. This is what we ought to be afraid of. This should terrify us as parents that we would grieve the Holy Spirit of God so that his spirit is not witnessing with our spirit as we try to parent these children that he has given to us. And one of the ways we do that is by sin in our lives, by disobedience to his call by ignoring him and his explicit commands. This should terrify us as church leaders. That we would somehow grieve or, or quench the work of the Spirit of God in our church by being full of pride or arrogance, thinking that somehow we ourselves made ourselves to this point by refusing to be grateful to Him and thankful to Him. Do we not see this pattern over and over and over in the Old Testament? where everything starts going good for the children of Israel, and they go, okay, God, thanks. We don't need you anymore. We got this now. And surprise, surprise, they don't got it. It's the same sense of which you can quench the Holy Spirit of God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can silence the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Jesus specifically said the Holy Spirit is given to convince, to, to, uh, to convince the world of sin, to show them their need of righteousness apart from themselves, and to remind them that there is a judgment coming so that when you sin as a believer and right before you do the deed or commit the sin you do this that's the holy spirit in your heart going hey 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 right before this flirtatious act in the office it's the holy spirit of god going hey i know your wife isn't here but i'm watching oh yeah but i but i got this i'm good And you grieve, you quench, you silence the Holy Spirit of God in your life in those moments. It terrifies me for my family that I would mute the Spirit of God in my life and then attempt to husband that girl right there. It fears me. I'm terrified of quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit of God in my life and then trying to guide these four children that God has given to me. That I would grieve Him and then walk in the room and try to discipline them in a way that would lead them to godliness when I myself know I've just grieved God in my own life. grieves me, it terrifies me to think that I would stand, preach to you about the fullness of God in your life, and then I myself have not spent time in prayer before the sermon. It's where Paul says, be better than to not teach, than to teach something, and then not live it yourself. Because now you're twice, you're double guilty of God's word. You see, it's so easy for us in our day and age to look at everybody else and say, they're not doing this, and they're not doing that, and God's going to get them, and God's going to judge them, and God's going to do this, and God's going to do it. Listen, 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 listen. God's the judge of the world, but God is also the judge of you. And you and I aren't kings Queens, presidents, God will have to deal with them. We aren't governors. God will have to deal with them. But hear me, we should be very careful about saying to everyone else, God's going to get you, and we have grieved him ourselves. Ephesians 5 then, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying there is a fullness of the Spirit that is present tense continuous. How, how do we have a present tense continuous filling of the Spirit in our lives? Where every life, where every night isn't some extraordinary fullness. There's not some demonstration of power. There's not always this deep sense of affirmation. Here it is. Ready? Here's how the older saints always talked about it. Ready? Here it is. Christian disciplines. Just Christian disciplines. Just read your Bible and pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. That's it? I came to family worship nights to hear that? It's the best I got. Because that's God's word. Wait, wait, wait. What you would tell me is the way I parent my children the right way is to just have consistent daily devotion to live out my faith, to be willing to answer their questions, to be willing to administer discipline in love. Like that's the secret to raising a godly family. That's it. Just consistent daily disciplines. So are you right now walking in the Spirit? Are you right now filled with the Spirit? As you scroll through the social media feed, are you right then filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Or are you muting him, silencing him, grieving him? It's a final chapter. It's the, it's the fullness of his spirit. And last one, and we're done. What is all that for? Okay, so it's the final chapter. Jesus is coming back. If he came tonight, I'd be fine with that. How many of you are with me, right? It's it's the fullness of the spirit. Okay, be walk, walk, be filled with the spirit. How do we do that? These regular, consistent, daily disciplines, singing to yourselves, serving one another, being willing to listen to someone who is saying something different to you, being thankful to God for what you do have, not being envious and covetousness of all the stuff that you don't have, not spending all your time thinking about how they got something that you didn't get, but you know bad stuff about them, and you don't understand why you do all the good stuff and they are we good there? For what reason, third and last, for all flesh? Look at it. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This means that the outpouring of the fullness of the Spirit of God, being filled with the Spirit, is, it's not... Simply so you and I can walk around and get Holy Spirit merit badges. It's not the point. You'll know, be, be filled with the Spirit. Why? So that all the world may know that God is our Father, that Christ is our Savior and Redeemer for all, and that they may believe on Him. When Joel and Peter both say young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams, this is what they have in mind, that dreams and visions about the gospel being spread to all flesh in all the world so that all the world will be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a real strong evidence for this. Hear me out. There's a real strong evidence for this in the Bible. All the way through the rest of the book of Acts, all the dreams and all the visions that are given have a missionary motivation or they have an evangelistic intent Think of, think of Ananias in Acts chapter number 9. He has this vision to go and commission and ordain Paul to the gospel ministry. Paul, who then becomes perhaps the greatest missionary to the Gentile world. This vision Ananias has, it's not some self-sufficient, some self-providing vision. isn't it having a vision so everyone thinks he's great. The vision is intended and with a missionary strategy. Think of Acts chapter number 10. Peter has this vision to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And then here comes Cornelius, that Italian centurion, knocking on his door. And Peter goes, oh, that's what the vision was about. It was about reaching somebody with the gospel. You go to Acts chapter number 16, and Paul has a vision of the Spirit calling him over into Macedonia, into the Europe area He saying, come over here. There's this Vision, we call that the Macedonian call. The visions, the dreams in the book of Acts, what do they center on? Not someone's special insight so they can write some spiritual book so they can make millions of dollars. The visions, the dreams are centered on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now we've gone full circle, haven't we? Because where did we start on Sunday? Sunday we started, our faith is Multi generational, and that this was not some. Offshoot of the plan of God but this was in fact the plan of God from the very beginning of time that all men everywhere would believe and you get to Acts 2 and open the final chapter and here it is God pouring out his spirit the fullness of the spirit of God on young and old on on rich and poor on Filipino and Spanish on white and black for what reason? for the reason of reaching the world with the gospel Gospel of Jesus Christ for that reason. When the Spirit comes in His fullness, this is what happens. People are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are never too young and you are never too old for spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. You and I are not called by God to a frustrating, unfinishable, discouraging, gloomy task of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus. We are called by God, the God of all grace, the God of all gifts, the God of creation who knows you, who made you, who created you, who gifted you. The you that God is using is the you that God made and intended to do this job. And He fills us with His Spirit as we pursue and go after and walk. So seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things added unto you. And the strength that God provides and the joy that God gives and the satisfaction that we find he supplies in what or for what? For the reaching of all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question then. Are you right now filled with the Spirit of God? You're a believer. He indwells you. He lives in you. By faith in Jesus Christ, he became your father. You became his son. And if sons, then God has given you his Spirit, which beareth witness with your spirit in Christ, Abba, Father. So are you right now filled with the Spirit of God? are you walking in the spirit of god the way we reach generation after generation after generation the way we parent our children toward godliness and holiness the way we lead as a church toward doing more for the go- for the city for, with this, with the gospel of the lord jesus christ the way we do more sending missionaries the way we accomplish more is by how By how? By being filled with the Spirit. And then by what? By serving one another with a submissive, sweet, joy-filled Spirit. So that what? So what can happen? So that we can all be famous of our own selves? No. So that many more people can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because there's lost people all over the city who need us, young and old, to be filled with the Spirit so that we might... Testify of God's good and great work before that terrible last day. Because Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And only what's done for Christ will last. That's it.